Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We are each going to throw out a question here related to the Browns. Uh, as we are getting closer and closer to the draft, we heard from some players and Kevin Stefanski on Tuesday. We'll hear from Andrew Berry on Friday. Uh, things slowly starting to get rolling here on the 2023 season. So I was thinking, uh, everybody, for whatever reason, all the big national news people and stuff have all been tweeting today, only eight days till the draft. They're getting real excited about, about the draft coming up. And of course, for Browns fans, it's not eight days till the draft. It's nine because the Browns don't have a first round pick. And I, I got to thinking, my question here, Mary Kay, is does this draft actually matter? I mean, the Browns have eight picks. They don't pick it, but they don't pick it till the third round at this point. It seems like their roster is mostly complete. It seems like most of the guys they would draft are going to be depth guys. I mean, in the sense of adding young talent, yes, it matters. But I mean, how much does this draft actually matter for, for this franchise? Well, I think the jury is still out on that because last year we would never have guessed that Martin Emerson was going to step in uh, as a third round cornerback and come in and make the kind of impact that he did. Uh, And then, I mean, obviously they had uh, a fourth round kicker. They had a a fourth round receiver that was supposed to come in and actually probably produce more uh, than he actually ended up doing in his rookie season. Uh, so those guys really came in and, and made a little bit of noise and, and did some things. And I think that, that Perry on Winfrey as a fourth round pick was supposed to have a much greater impact than he ended up having. So I do think that you can look at number 74 and number 98 as two places. Those are the third round picks as two places where they could potentially find a third round edge rusher or a maybe even a starting defensive tackle, or someone that is a key part of the rotation. So I'm going to say yes, it does matter, because once again, those third round guys, uh, you know, you can really plug them in pretty quickly and hope to get something out of them. Yeah, so the Martin Emerson point is interesting, because, you know, when you bring up the kicker, I kind of think, well, okay, they, they kind of went into the draft knowing they needed a kicker, you can make the case at receiver that they they went in knowing they needed a receiver. I don't know if there's as obvious a need this year, but the Martin Emerson point, Ashley, kind of underscores you might still get somebody that you didn't necessarily expect to contribute who suddenly comes in and contributes. Yeah, and I think when we talk about, especially third rounders, like we do say that those are guys you eventually want to be starters. Like they're not going to come in necessarily and be developed right away and be able to start right away. But you want somebody who's going to turn into something. And I mean, we've all, I think, written about at this point that the Browns and Andrew Berry like haven't had like a ton of consistent success with that and drafting in those mid rounds. And there's a lot of guys that, you know, we're just kind of hanging around wondering what's going to happen to them and in their third year, their fourth year, their second year, some cases. So I'm with Mary Kay. I think it matters. It just isn't like the end all be all like it has been in the past. And that's just the nature of picking in the third round versus picking in the first round where things are a bit more in your control. When you're not picking until the 70s, a lot of dominoes have to fall before you even can kind of get an understanding of, okay, who might be the best available or the best fit around where we're picking. Is part of it, Mary Kay, though, that 
so sort of what I was saying that there isn't this obvious glaring need, right? Like we, when we do talk needs, we're talking like third edge rusher, or we're talking, you know, maybe linebacker or depth at off at offensive line or a receiver who can contribute maybe somewhat this year. And then down the road, it doesn't feel like there's a super obvious, like glaring need on, on this team. No, there, there really isn't. I mean, if they did not have a draft and this is probably the point you are uh, trying to make, if there were no draft happening next week, uh, I think the Browns can go out and pretty much field the football team that they expect to field in September for, you know, maybe one spot here or there. Uh, but they're at a point now where, you know, they need veteran guys to play these positions. They have stocked this football team now for, for three years and they're pretty well set. I mean, they just added like 12 free agents and signed a re-signed a bunch of their own guys. But in terms of, um, you know, filling holes and plugging holes, a lot of that has been taken care of in free agency and with the trade of Elijah Moore for Elijah Moore. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's a chance that they might not even draft a starter in, in this draft or someone who we would project to start. Um, it, it's just, it just seems strange to, to approach a draft with so much mystery, just not really knowing where this team's going to go. And ultimately, you know, when we sit down and do depth charts, Ashley, I don't even know where we'll put some of these guys, uh, you know, when, when we do kind of finally have names that, to, to go along with these picks. Yeah, and I mean, I think it just kind of goes back to that the Browns sort of, to me, solved their major needs in free agency. So now they're not kind of, you know, pushed back into a corner, this draft and banking on a young rookie to come and get them what, what they need. And, you know, we talked about this, your, your second round pick you traded, but you basically, you got Elijah Moore with your second round pick. You are not going to get a player better than that. And that is a guy that you can plug in on that depth chart and assume he's going to be a starter. Um, so it is interesting. I think it's definitely a different mentality. You know, this is only my second go around with the draft covering these guys. And there was some mystery with it last year, but it was a little different in that they traded their second round pick right before they were supposed to pick there. So it was a bit like the preparation was just different. This time we're going into it knowing, okay, that guy's not going to come until at least the third round as of right now. Um, so yeah, it's just like, it's kind of speaks to, I think the fact that they addressed most of these needs already. That does add some juice. Mary Kay is just like going in, knowing that there was a second round pick last year and then they waited to trade it. So there was at least some intrigue and, and some mystery leading up to what, to what was going to be an important pick. You, you would think, you know, this feels like sort of the Rams all of a sudden, you know, I remember the press conference where it looked like Sean McVay and Les Snead had uh, been enjoying themselves a little bit on that Thursday night of the, of the draft before they went and talked to the media. It feels like the Browns could maybe get away with that too this year because they're just, they aren't really going to be able to make a huge dent in this draft until very late on, on Friday night. Yeah. I mean, unless they package a number of picks and there's something that they really want that's up there in the second round and they try to move up. I mean, I suppose that can happen. And I'm, I'm sure we will hear that from Andrew Barry on Friday, that anything is on the table, a move up, a stand pat, a move back, trade players, trade picks, whatever. It's all out there uh, for the possible taking. Um, but there is something about the fact that, you know, they're actually, like you said, heading into this draft without the second round pick, because at least last year, 
you know, we really talked a lot about that second round pick heading into it. And we thoroughly, uh, you know, you know, scouted players and did some features and really tried to figure out what they might do with that second round pick, because the, in the second round, you're trying to get a starter. I mean, there's no question about it. You are looking for a starting player. That's what you find in the second round. In the third round, again, it's, it's, you know, guys that can contribute and hopefully eventually work into starters down the road. Um, so it just, it loses a little bit of something. But again, you know, you have to stay tuned because at, at any point on that second day, they could climb back into uh, the second round and, and grab a player that, you know, that we had never envisioned. So our point here is follow along with all of our draft coverage because it still matters. So make sure you're following along at cleveland.com. Mary Kay, what question do you have? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking a little bit more about Greg Newsom, the stuff that he said yesterday when we had him out in Berea at the offseason program availability. And then, of course, Pro Football Talk comes back out right after that and says, oh, yes, he did. He wanted to be traded. That's why he changed agents. And uh, and then once, a, once again, Greg found himself uh, refuting that. So my question is, um, he doesn't really know exactly precisely what his role is going to be yet. Do we think this is going to have a happy long-term ending with Greg Newsom being here in Cleveland, moving forward, uh, you know, playing for this team and finishing his career here, like he said he wants to do, uh, you know, is it, is that going to happen if he has to play primarily in the slot again this whole season? Uh, what if he doesn't get a chance to be that outside lockdown cornerback that he wants to be? Where is this going to go? So that's kind of my question that I, I'm going to throw, you know, out to you guys. What's the vibe? What's the take? What do you think is going to really happen in the end with all of this? I'm scared to answer because I don't want Greg to tweet at me. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess, I guess how would you define that? I mean, is that spending his whole career in Cleveland or most of his career in Cleveland? Because that's where I would say, I don't know if I see that happening, especially if he would expect that to come with a Denzel Ward type deal, which by the time he's up, for that deal, you know, we always talk about how the Browns have been ahead of it, but you're only ahead of it for so long. Eventually they'll be resetting the market again at corner. So um, if, if that's how it looks, I don't know if, if he gets that kind of like ending in Cleveland. I, I don't know if he's here for 10 years as a starting cornerback because they've made that commitment to Denzel Ward and he's still, Denzel Ward is still really young. He's got a lot of prime years left and, probably has another big contract left in him. So, you know, I just don't know. At some point they're going to, they are going to have to pay attention to the salary cap and they aren't going to be able to pay everybody. So in the short term, I would say yes. Long term though, Ashley, I think it would be a little murkier. Yeah. And it's like after hearing him talk yesterday and he's talking about, you know, like wanting to be involved in Cleveland and how mad he was when those reports started circulating like, I, I came away from that thinking, okay, this guy does really love Cleveland. Like, that is a fact from the way he's talked about it in the past, the way you see him out in the community. That's great. But kind of like what you're saying, Dan, like, the money 
at some point becomes very real, especially when you are at that position. And we've talked about Greg's frustrations and how the money is, comes in playing outside. And I think it was interesting to kind of hear like, okay, in Jim Schwartz's scheme, maybe it's not all as cut and dry as it was in Joe Woods's in terms of the cornerback's responsibilities. And, you know, he was kind of talking about phrased it as like everybody gets to do a little bit of everything with these responsibilities and that what he wasn't happy about in Joe Woods' scheme was sometimes he felt like he was playing more like a linebacker than a cornerback. So I'm with you. Like, I think in the short term, like, hey, it might work out. But eventually, if Greg wants a ton of money, maybe the Browns aren't going to be able to pay that to him and another team will. Um, maybe the frustrations of his you know individual production isn't where he wants it in a few years. Maybe that will be tantalizing enough to go after an opportunity somewhere. I do think it's really hard to like definitively say, yes, he is going to end his career here, even though he clearly loves Cleveland, I think a lot. You know, I, I what I would like to do is set the bar there, and I should have done that at the outset, is I, I would set the bar at getting to that extension, getting to that second contract. That's That's where I would have it. It wouldn't just be you know, playing out your fifth year option. It would be getting to the second year contract with, which is what you expect to happen when you draft a player in the first round. So, you know, that's what I wonder if, you know, if that's going to happen and, you know, anything can happen after that, but will he get to that point? So I don't know if that changes anything about the way that you guys would answer, but that's, that was really the crux of the issue. Yeah. And I I think that's complicated because, as you know, like I said, I sat here and said that I don't know that you get a Denzel Ward type contract if they already have a Denzel Ward contract mm-hmm. on the books. But at the same time, I don't. It's hard for me to see them as long as he is happy. It's hard for me to see them just deciding to let him walk. I, I don't know how you do that too. So that there's probably a way that they could make it all fit. We. You know, we we talked on the Hey, hey MK pod about the cash spending and how the Haslam's spend a ton of money. And, and that's how they sort of the Browns are and, and other teams do this too with super rich owners. They're able to kind of circumvent the cap a little bit and work their way around it because of their, their cash spending ability. So the Browns could certainly make it work, but there's also a part of me that's like where there's smoke, there might be at least a little bit of fire. <laughs> so I don't know if, if there's some of this stuff out there, if, if Greg is a little bit unhappy, I think at some point that does probably crop up again a, a little bit. So ah, man, it's hard for, it's hard for me to kind of project an ending here for him. I, I don't know if I see Greg being here for 10 to 15 years, um, but I could see as long as he finds a role he's happy with them figuring out a way to get some sort of extension done. And will he be happy if he is playing primarily in the slot over the next full Pro- year? Probably not. I, that's that. Yeah, I don't think so. That that I'll, that I'll answer more definitively. I just I just don't think if he's a primary slot receiver, he'll be happy. I think he wants to be an yeah. outside corner, and I get it. Everybody wants to be an outside corner. Yeah, Ashley, are we wrong? No, I mean I think you're you're right. I mean we talked about it time and time again. The money and the glory is on the outside for those positions. That's how you get paid. That's where the production comes and all of that. I mean, it's understandable to me that that's why he wants that. And again, he has an understanding right now, a basic understanding of what Jim Schwartz is going to bring. But if that ends up looking different, and again, 
they want all three of those guys in the game at the same time. Greg's going to be the one who's going to move into the slot when teams put more receivers out there because that's, you know, that's just kind of where they are with Denzel Ward and Martin Emerson. You're not going to move one of those guys in the slot, most likely. Okay, so I'm doing a little math in my head. I'm trying to figure this out. Um, so Miles Garrett, his contract runs through 2026. Okay, so Greg, when is he? So he's in year three. So then year four would be 2024. Year five would be 2025. So mm-hmm. um, if they did an extension with him, that would kick in kind of in that range. Uh, Deshaun Watson, his contract was a five-year deal. He's kind of on that 2027, right? Is that the That would be the last year of his deal. So I guess Greg would come up before they'd have to sort of re-up some of these other big contracts, but that's also something they'd have to consider. Like, you're going to have to pay Miles Garrett again, and it's going to be expensive. You're going to have to pay Deshaun Watson again. You know, Deshaun Watson doesn't love seeing all these contracts, these quarterback contracts, just because he's buddies with these guys. Every quarterback wants to see these quarterback contracts because they know they're going to be coming up again, and they want those numbers to to keep getting inflated. So you're going to have to start paying guys again, I would think, as long as they continue to perform at a high level, plus pay a Greg Newsome and um, an and maybe a Grant Delpit. Let's say Grant Delpit gets it figured out and he plays like he did in the second half last year. Then you got to pay him. These guys start to get expensive. So something's got to give Mary Kay. And I just don't know. Again, can you have $200 million corners and Miles Garrett and Deshaun Watson and, you know, maybe a, a potentially very rich Grant Delpit? I don't know. I don't know if you can have all that. Yeah. I mean, the, the salary cap will continue to go up and some of the salaries uh, like Denzel Ward's $20 million a year will start to look, you know, not, not as exorbitant as it did when it was first done. So, uh, you know, some of those numbers will come down. The sticker shock will wear off on some of those numbers. Even Deshaun's number now is fifth in the NFL. You've got Jalen Hurts averaging $51 million a year and Deshaun only one year ago. Um, had the highest average at $46 million a year. I mean, that that's quite the inflation there in one year, isn't it? To go up for that average, uh, to go up by by that much is pretty darn incredible. But um, but some of those numbers won't look as enormous, and they, they will find a way to keep their first-round picks and their guys that they value. The core players on this football team, uh, they will find a way to keep them. I think it's, I think with Greg, it's just going to be a matter of, uh, you know, is he going to be happy with his role if he doesn't ever make it back out there to be that uh, outside cornerback? And, and maybe he will, you know, may, maybe he will because things change, anything can happen. Um, but I think that that's, that might be the larger issue than the actual money. Yeah, you're, you're probably right because this team is so good at managing the cap and figuring this stuff out and, you know, like you said, the cap's going to go up. So even when Deshaun does come back up and he's he's getting, who knows by then, maybe it'll be 60 million a year, but it's going to be a lot more manageable um, for uh, with all these TV contracts and all of that. Okay, let's take a break. And then when we come back, Ashley will bring us home with her question. And we're back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Ashley Bastock. All right, Ashley, you are up. Your question about the Browns. 
Yeah, so with the news, I was thinking along the lines of some of the recent news coming out of the team, particularly regarding Perion Winfrey and that legal situation that he's now involved in. And, you know, I've been doing the mock draft roundups these last few weeks, and even just my knowledge of how this regime works, I, you know, always expect to them to just go best player available. It might be less predictable. I really kind of have taken to heart like that need agnostic phrase that you hear Andrew Barry use and talking about how they try to approach the draft and approaching it like they're building an expansion team. But given everything going on with Perion Winfrey, things being murky there, I guess my question is, do we think there's going to be an extra emphasis on beefing up that interior D line in the draft? I I think there will be. I think that's going to be something that they address. Um, just because, you know, even though, you know, that need agnostic phrase, there is still some consideration there. Like, hey, if we can get a defensive tackle, it's been such a point of emphasis right. in Harry Kay. It's hard for me to believe that, like, they wouldn't somewhere in this draft go try and find somebody that they could get out there. Yeah, I, I think they will. I think, I, I think they will. I think if they don't, um, then it's because they they added Tristan Hill and Maurice Hurst, and I think they feel you know pretty comfortable with uh, the bodies that they have in the room now. But if you're looking for sort of a starting caliber guy, uh, then I think you could look for that at number seventy four or even number ninety eight. So why not? It will be definitely uh, an option for them. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that it's something that they could do. But because they don't draft for need, they're set there, I think, in the rotation next to Dalvin Tomlinson if they need to be. They've got plenty of options there. So I think they'll be okay. But, um, but certainly that is a position to look at, especially as Ashley mentioned, that there is uncertainty around Perrion Winfrey, who I think that they were starting to feel kind of optimistic about that. I think they were thinking, you know what, maybe under Jim Schwartz, he'll grow up a little bit. Maybe he'll like his role. Maybe we can get a handle on him. Maybe, you know, maybe he won't have the maturity issues that he had last year. So I do think that they were, you know, really looking forward to seeing what he could do in his second season. And now that's all up in the air. I I do think it, it helps though that they, you know, I mean, you mentioned the the Hursts and Hills and, and some of those guys that they've signed. They aren't they weren't dependent on Perrion Winfrey. So if he continued being a knucklehead, which you know allegedly he did continue to be more than a knucklehead, um, it didn't leave them at a point where they were like dependent on him. So we'll we'll see how this plays out. They're obviously not in any rush right now as as the legal process plays out after that arrest last week, but. Um, I, I do think they're pretty well covered because, you know, actually they didn't just leave themselves like, hey, Perry on Winfrey needs to show up, like Chris Kiffin liked to say, put in a week of work and, <laughs> right. you know, produce on game days. They weren't as dependent on that as they were last year. Gosh, all time Chris Kiffin quote <laughs> there, man. I think about that all the time when we talk about Perry on. Um, but no, I guess too, like my follow-up question, and I think it's like, I don't know if anyone else is interested in this, but it's also kind of rhetorical without knowing. But I I just wonder if they're going to end up relying too much on Jordan Elliott again and if you can make that same mistake. Because 
when Miles Garrett talked yesterday, I think, Dan, you were the one who asked him about playing alongside Dalvin Tom- Tomlinson. And he's like, oh, well, we got Jordan Elliott back there too. And it's like, I don't know what the internal grades for Jordan Elliott looked like, but, you know, the PFF, the stats, like those things weren't that great. And it just felt like we didn't see that jump that everyone was talking about with him during training camp. Um, so I just, I wonder if that's going to happen again. And if they're going to be like, oh, we, we're, we're banking on Jordan Elliott really being a huge contributor. And if it just never transpires or Dalvin Tomlinson gets hurt, it's like, then what for me? Yeah, Miles went to Jordan real fast yesterday um, when when I asked him about that. And Mary Kay, you brought it up a few times on this podcast. I mean, it sounded like the Browns had drafted Aaron Donald the way they were talking about Jordan Elliott last training camp. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's really all we heard about. And we were all wondering, wow, where have they been hiding this guy? And why did they wait so long to dust him off and roll him out there? Um, so yeah, but that, I mean, that's what you expect. Once again, he was a third round pick and, uh, in 2020, and you expect those guys to end up in the starting lineup and making some noise. Now, last year was his first full year as a starter and maybe he will be ready to take that step up this year. Uh, now that he's got so much experience, starting experience under his belt. Uh, maybe the game will have slowed down for him. We saw that happen with Sayoni Taki Taki. You know, we saw him get better to the point where last year, uh, you know, he was ranked really highly according to like a PFF. Maybe the same thing will happen to Jordan Elliott where where he will um, be that much better for having started 17 games. So, you know, let's see how it goes. But they do have backup. They do have backup now and they don't have to worry too, too much about uh, the rotation at least. And uh, and I do think that they will add another guy somehow, somewhere. So, Ashley, this question got me thinking real quick here, because last week on our draft episode, um, I let Lance talk me into picking a tight end for the Browns in the fourth oh, round. I, I heard that. The fourth yeah. round pick. Uh, we outvoted Tim, the, the draft expert on the pod. We outvoted him, and we took a tight end in the fourth round because Lance talked me into his upside. And it got me thinking, is there a position – that you would just be like, whoa, the Browns picked this position. I, I think maybe we know so much about Andrew Barry now. Maybe that just doesn't exist. But like, is yeah. there, is there a position? That, I mean, maybe like, are we end? talking? Are we talking about in the draft at all, or like let's just say, their first couple of picks? Let's uh, let's just say day two. Day two. I know or, you guys early early day three. I think you guys talked about this on the one AMK pod, but like the biggest red flag would be a quarterback. Like that doesn't make, that wouldn't make any sense at this point. But I will say, I've talked about it, Dan. I think one of the pods that you and I did tight end was up there for me, where I'm like, I just don't know how much that would make sense because we're sitting here now with Jordan Aikens questioning how much Harrison Bryan's going to be able to do, like bringing another guy in there. And they have that, you know, Zaire Mitchell Payton still, like if they want to keep him on the practice squad and really like him, it's like, they have some more flexibility with these practice squad numbers now compared to a few years ago. But I still really think those are the key positions for me. Like, I wouldn't be surprised for, I don't think at any defensive position that they would take offense going through the numbers, wouldn't be surprised at receiver, wouldn't be surprised at an alignment, wouldn't be surprised at a running back given what the future looks like there and Kareem Hunt probably coming back. It's probably those two for me. I think I'd be, I think I'd maybe be surprised by a running back like third round, early fourth. But still, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't even know. 
Earlier this yeah. week, I, I decided that my new philosophy is take a running back in every draft. So I don't I know if that. that's smart or not, but that's my that's my new random draft philosophy. Is that, there a position? Go ahead, Ashley. No, I was going to say, I mean, that's what's interesting with running backs is you can often find a decent guy late, like they did with Jerome Ford. Um, but I have seen them, you know, and of course, I think when these mocks come out now from the draft analysts, like... You know, it's a lot up in the air when you're talking about these later rounds. But I've seen now multiple analysts starting to mock a running back going to them with their first pick, which it is kind of jarring when you see. But it's like, I don't know that it would surprise me if, like, they really think that that's the best guy available. Like, I think they might. I wouldn't be surprised if they do something like that, basically. Is is there a position that would shock you, Mary Kay? Yeah, again, just quarterback, like you guys said, that we talked about on the – you know, on the Hey MK pod, but even that wouldn't shock me. I, it, it really wouldn't shock me because if, you know, if they see something there, if they see a good developmental guy there, um, you know, sometimes you can use them as, um, as even as trade bait later, if you develop them and you don't need them. So that, you know, that wouldn't shock me. I don't think anything would shock me. I think we've learned from Andrew Barry by now that he, you know, he'll do anything. And when you think about Martin Emerson last year, we shouldn't have been surprised about that. Really. We really shouldn't have been surprised. They love defensive backs. I mean, it could be a safety, right? I mean, it could be a safety at number seven. It could be anything really. So I think, you know, you just have to be prepared for them to take uh, the highest rated player on their board. I think they will stick to that and it can be any position. I've got two that I just thought of that I think are pretty safe that they aren't going to select kicker. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Long snapper. <laughs> okay. I think that's about it. Charlie Hewlett. We'll give, yeah. we'll give you that. We'll, we'll yeah. give you that, but you never know. You never what, you never know what Bubba wants. No, but yeah, that's, right. yeah, that's true. Maybe Bubba's like, we need some competition at long snapper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Charlie Hewlett's gotten too comfortable over these, <laughs> yeah. being the second longest tenured player on this team. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there we go. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, Football Insider, cleveland.com slash Browns and Blue Banner at the top of the page where you'll get a newsletter every day, access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns, and become one of our tech subscribers and subscribe to uh, this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to you both later. Bye.